So God, I want to take this moment and I want to acknowledge you. Hallelujah, more than the lips. Praise more than the calves of my lips. But God, I want to bring my heart to you. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, let's go right into the word of the Lord. Numbers chapter 21. Numbers 21, and then we're going to flip over to the New Testament to John chapter 5. I say it is an honor and a privilege to be here before you to, to be able to stand and minister the word, give honor and glory to our pastor and first lady. Uh, we are blessed with the best. Appreciate them so very much. Hallelujah. Well, some of you believe it. Hopefully when I get done, the rest of you will believe it. So, no, I never want to take an opportunity to where I don't give them thanks and, and honor for whom honor is due. The Bible says double honor to those who carry the word. Uh, and so double honor to them today. Numbers chapter 21, verse 8 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, it shall will looketh upon it shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. John chapter 5, verse number 1 says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water, Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. Jesus saw him lie, and knew that he had been now a long time in that case. He saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, saying, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. I want to draw your attention back to verse number 6. When Jesus saw him lie, and he knew that he'd been a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? And today, for just a short while, I want to I minister to you on that thought. Wilt thou? It's not a matter if healing or deliverance is available. It's wilt thou? Pastor, would you ask the Lord to touch right now? Amen. You may be seated. The Pool of Bethesda was located by the sheep market uh, in Jerusalem. This was an area where the sheep were brought to to be watered and prepared for the sacrifice. As you can imagine, this was not a very glorious and glamorous place. The pool here was used not only for the sheep, but also a place for the traveler to bathe and to knock off the dust of his journey and to cleanse himself. Some scholars believe that this pool might have served as a mikvah, 
at one time. Mikvah is just a Jewish term. It was a tank for ritual cleaning. Think of it as a Jewish baptismal tank. And so some thought that it might have been a mikvah where these people were gathered. The pool here was also when, according to the scriptures, at a certain season, an angel would stir the water of the pool. Now, scholars in recent years have said it wasn't an angel, that it was probably a natural spring that bubbled up at a certain time, and uh, it was like a, like a hot springs like what we have here in the United States. And whether that be or whether or not, I'm, I'm going to stay with the Word of God. And the Word of God said an angel stepped down one, every so often and would trouble the water. And tradition held that the first one into the pool after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever ailed him. As a result of these miracles and the tradition, the pool had become a, a home for the invalids of Jerusalem and all who came there in hopes of being the first one in the pool after the stirring of the water. And it was in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda. Bethesda means house of mercy or house of grace. How fitting that the place where the invalids and the impotent and the blind and the withered gathered was referred to as the house of mercy and the house of grace. You have come to a place today where we don't all have it together. You're in a good place today. Uh, some folks say, well, I, I can't come to church because I don't have it right. Well, the church is not a place where people have it right. The church is a place where people come to get it right. You're, you're in a good place today. If there were no sick here, we would just call it a social club, close the doors, and, and call it a day. But this is the place where the sick and the withered and the halt and the blind and those that are hurting and those that are struggling, you're welcome here in our gates. You're welcome here in our midst. In the place where the sacrifices were prepared for their end, there was a pool for bathing, a pool for washing, and a pool for cleansing. It was here in a place of no reputation that the water was stirred and healing was attained. We are not gathered today in a palatial, elegant place today. The church is not a place of sanctimonious uh, indicate dedication to the aesthetics of mankind. We're not here for the reality and the beauty of the edifice in this building. What brought you to this place this morning was not the walls that were here. It's not the, the people that you would greet. What brought you to this place this morning? It was that you heard that there was healing. It was that you heard there were miracles. It was that you heard that something different happens in that place. I watched Friday night as a, as a sanctuary that's dedicated to, to another denomination was opened up to, to apostolic young folks, and they had a, had, a, had a night of worship there. Now, there were other folks that were involved, but the primary focus was apostolic youth, and I, I watched some of the folks around me. They, they weren't accustomed to, to what was going on, but in that place, as the man of God that was ministering that night in song got up, I watched a young lady that I teach on a daily basis raise her hands and be baptized with the Spirit of God as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. Now she's struggling in her body, but that moment it didn't make a whole lot of difference to her. She needed something from God. And I watched other young people that I will see tomorrow in my day that will be in my classroom dancing with their hands. What? They came to a place, and at that moment, FCA Chapel was not FCA Chapel, but it was Bethesda, the place of healing, the place of the stirring. 
And in this place of mercy and grace, we find a multitude. The word multitude in the Greek there means a fullness. We found a, a, a whole host of people, of impotent folks. Those are feeble-bodied. The blind, which means they're blind. The halt, those that were limping. And the weathered, the scorched, or the shrunken, or those that had just gone through the struggles of life. All were waiting for the moving of the water that they might be cured of their elements. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. Most scholars measure a generation in 40 years. And so this man had been there almost a complete generation. Do you know that this man, this child of Israel, had suffered longer in his body than Abraham had waited for the promised son Isaac. He had suffered in his body almost the same amount of time that his forefathers had wandered in the wilderness. And he had suffered much. We're not told how long he had been at Bethesda. We know how long his suffering was. But we know that he had suffered for that generation of time. And when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that place, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The Lord knew he had been there a long time. And he asked a very strange question. Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made healthy? Why would the Lord ask such a question if he already knew how long the man had been there? It's the same reason that God asked Adam and Eve, where art thou? He knew exactly where they were, but what he was doing is he was asking the question to see if they were willing to come clean, if they were willing to come and confess to him. He asked Cain, where is thy brother? And he said, I don't know where my brother is. Did he not know where his brother was? God knew where Abel was. He saw it happen. But again, he was asking the question to give Cain an opportunity to come clean. In Genesis 32, God asked Jacob what his name was. It wasn't that God was having an elderly moment there. It wasn't that God didn't know who he was. He wanted Jacob to confess, how desperate are you to get out of this mess, Jacob? How desperate are you to see a move of my spirit? How desperate are you? In Exodus 4, God asked Moses what's in his hand, not because God didn't know what a shepherd's staff looked like, not because he didn't know what a shepherd's crook looked like, but God wanted Moses to understand that with God, the ordinary was miraculous, and things are not what they always appear to be. Somebody, I want to ask you today, what is it that brought you here today? Did you come to see a sight? What was it that took you out to the wilderness to John? Did you, did you go out to see somebody clothed in fine arraignment? Did you go out to see somebody? Some, some kind of miraculous something. What was it that drew you to him? God never asks a question that he doesn't already know the answer to. God knew why Elijah was in the cave, and yet he still asked Elijah, Elijah, what doest thou here? He wanted Elijah to come clean. God wanted Elijah to know, Elijah, you're not the only faithful one in Israel, that you are not alone. And in John 1, John, Jesus asked the followers of John who followed him, What do you seek? Did he not know? Of course he knew. He wanted them to know why they were following him. He tells them, they said, we're, we're following you. And he said, well, come and see. Come and see. God asked that lame man, do you want to be made healthy? Are you serious about what it is that ails you? How desperate for me are you? The purpose of the question from God in all of these instances was to get to the heart of the matter. 
For Adam and Cain, for Adam and Cain, it was to get them to a place of repentance. For Jacob, it was to see and measure how truly desperate he was to change his situation because he had wrestled with God all night long. And God wanted to know, you've wrestled with me all night long, but are you ready to change? For Moses, God was bringing Moses to a place of realization that Moses' ways and Moses' methods were not necessarily God's and that God could take a lowly shepherd's staff of a stuttering shepherd and deliver a nation and a people out into the promised land. For Elijah, God's question was to bring Elijah to a place of conviction and realization that Elijah, you're not alone. I've come to tell somebody here today, you're not alone. It may seem like you're alone. It may appear to be alone, but I can tell you that there are 7,000 in Israel that have not yet bowed their knee to Baal nor called him Lord. Elijah, you're not by yourself. And if you are, Elijah, by yourself, you still got me. And that means you're never alone. And even Elijah... If you were the only one, you're not. I'm still the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. I am the God of Israel. I am the God that said, let there be and there was. I am the God that parted the Red Sea. I'm the God that fed you by the stream every day for the last three and a half years. How dare you, Elijah, claim you're alone. And for the disciples of John, the Lord wanted to see if they were really sincere enough to come and see. John had sent them to him and said, you go follow him. That's your new master. Sometimes we follow just because we've been told to follow. But Jesus wanted to get to the heart of the matter. What do you seek? We seek you. Come and see. Come and see. And for that lame man who had been there for a generation, he said, do you really want to be made whole? Do you really want to be healed? He said, wilt thou be made whole? And he's getting to the heart of the matter, but he, he hasn't gotten there yet because the man, here comes the excuses. He says, sir, I have no man. When the water is troubled to put me in, I, I can't get there. Don't you see? I'm crippled. I can't get into the pool, and even if I get close enough before I can roll over into it, somebody gets there before me, and I, I just I don't have a way. Uh, when I'm on my way, somebody steps in before me, and even if I could get there, I can't. And I can imagine the Lord is looking at him, and that's not what I ask you. The question was not, why have you not gotten your healing? The question is not, why do you not... How did you get to this place in life? The question is not, why have you not been made whole? The question is not, what have you done to get out of your mess? The question is not, who's helped you and who have you asked for help? That's not the question. The question is, do you want to be made whole? I feel as if some have come to this place packed full of excuses as to why they're in the shape that they're in. But the question is not, why are you still here? The question is not, what brought you to this place? The question is not, what do you want to uh, do with your life? The question is, do you want to be made whole? 
Are you willing to do something unexpected today and just yield to the only God who can? I feel like sometimes we come with our built-up excuses as to when God doesn't move that this is the reason why. But the question that God is asking someone here under the sound of my voice today is, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to get out of this mess? Do you want to go home different than the way you came? And Jesus doesn't even acknowledge him when he gives the excuses. Jesus just simply says, rise, take up thy bed and walk. How am I going to get up? Let me just be me. I've been there 38 years in this same condition. If I wanted to get up and walk, if I could get up and walk, don't you think I would have already gotten up and walked? But something in the power of his words, he says, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. The word rise means to rouse, to awaken, to gather one's faculties. Somebody needs to understand this morning, you need to shake off the lethargy of your situation. Shake off what that is that you've always been in. Clear your mind. Get your mind Half the battle is right here. Half the battle is right here. Shake yourself. You need to awaken to the reality that you're in the house of mercy today. And the mercy giver is in this place. Gather your faculties and understand that he is for you. I'll say that again. He is for you. I'll say it one more time. Somebody needs to hear. He is for you. And then you say, well, and now you're back into your mind again. There were a multitude of impotent folk there. I always wondered why Jesus, you can say, be healed, and everything in that place would have been healed and been made whole. Why did you only go and speak to the one? He spoke to the one that was most desperate. He spoke to the one that was in most need. He spoke to the one who had nowhere else to turn. And he said, let me just get right down to the heart of the matter with you. Do you want to be made whole? I'm not looking at this one. I'm not looking at that one. I'm not focused over here. I'm focused solely on you. Do you want to be made whole? Gather your faculties and understand this. It's time to take up, to lift up. To walk means to tread all around. Walk at large, especially as proof of your ability. You just need to get up and you say, I I, I don't know if I can. It doesn't matter if you think you can or whether you think you can't. You just need to get up and listen and obey the word of the Lord. One commentator noted, it has been remarked that our Lord, after having performed a miracle, was accustomed to connect some circumstance with it, which attested to its truth. After the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, he gathered the fragments. He ordered the fragments to be collected, which were more in quantity than the loaves themselves, though several thousand had been fed. Why? Because nobody could ever say that it didn't happen. We've got the loaves and the fishes here to prove that it wasn't something that we did on the backside. It wasn't some magic trick. When he changed the water into wine, he ordered some of it taken first to the steward of the feast that he might... 
taste and bear testimony to its genuineness and its excellency, that this wasn't just something that happened. And when he cured the lepers, he commanded them to show themselves to the priest whose business it was to judge of the cure. And so here the commentator writes, he judged it necessary after having cured this infirm man to order him to not only arise, but to take up his bed and walk, which sufficiently attested to the miracle which he had performed. I'm here to speak to somebody here this morning that in his provision, it is in this room. He knows your situation. He knows your need. And he's asking what it might seem like a silly question to you. But here it is again. Do you want to be made whole? This question is not arbitrary. It's not cruel. He's asking you to come clean. He's asking you to confess that you are desperate. Who amongst us in this room has been in the condition for a long time who here is desperate to be made and to do whatever it takes to get out of your situation are you desperate well you know if I had somebody that could help me you're not desperate enough well you know as I'm coming and I come to church and I just can't you're not desperate enough if you were truly desperate You'd do whatever it takes to get the Holy Ghost. You'd do whatever it takes to get your, your cure, your healing, that move of God. And I can tell you as a backslidden teenager in a Sunday school classroom, I had walked away from a motorcycle accident that should have crippled me or should have killed me, probably should have killed me. And I stood there in the classroom and the knock came on the door. And they're taking up the offering, the Sunday school offering in my teenage classroom. But there was a man moved on by the Holy Ghost that stood there and he began to prophetically uh, speak. I, Behold, I stand at the door and knock and whosoever open unto me, I will come into him and he will sup with me and I will sup with him. And Brother Don, the last thing I remember was I was desperate and I threw my hands in the air. When I came to myself over an hour later, I was in the fellowship hall to this day. I don't know how I got there, but there was the sweetest sound coming from my lips that I had never heard before because God had filled me with the Holy Ghost right there in the classroom. What happened? I was desperate. I was at the pool of Bethesda and I needed mercy. I was at the pool of Bethesda and I needed grace. And I could not go home and I could not continue to live the way I had always lived. And God showed up. Are you desperate? And wilt thou be made whole? The Holy Ghost so strong here. I'm, I'm, I'm coming to a rapid close. I'm closer now than, than, than you would truly believe. In numbers, the children of Israel were being punished for their doubt, for their obstinacy, their disobedience. Vipers had invaded the camp, and anyone that was bit would soon die. But God instructed Moses to put an image of a serpent on a pole. and Whoever looked upon that serpent on the pole would be healed. And despite there being a way to be cured and a way to be healed, human nature tells me, that there were some that refused to look at the serpent and they died. You say, you have Bible for that, Brother Helms? No, but I know humans. And there's somebody there in that camp that could have been saved, but they wouldn't look. They had a chance to be made whole, but chose not to trust in the cure that was right in front of their eyes. Let's get to the heart of the matter this morning. Can we do that right now? This morning, your answer is here in this room. 
wilt thou be made whole? Do you want to be healed? One leper said to Jesus, he said, if you would, I could be made whole. And Jesus said, I will. I will. Others saw him from a great way off, and they hollered into him, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. What they were saying is, you don't have to come over here. We know that you're able. And Jesus said, I am able and I want to. And he sent them to the priest to be made whole. And as they're going, the Bible said, the flesh came upon their skin and they were cured of the leprosy. Somebody said, I don't know if he wants to. God wants to. I can promise you that God wants to. He looked at the man who lowered down through the roof, sick of the palsy. And the thing that disturbed Jesus more than the man's sickness was the man's spiritual condition. He said, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. And then he healed his body. Some of you here today, you're carrying around a spiritual wound in your heart so deep and so tragic and so hurting that you've carried it around for years. And you, you don't know how to get rid of it. You don't know how. I just want to ask you, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to leave that burden here? Because I've, I've found sometimes folks would rather have the burden than they would the healing. Well, if, if I get healed, it's going to change my life. You better believe it. It's going to change your life. You better believe it's going to change your life. It's going to be the greatest walk that you've ever had, the greatest move of God. Do you want to be made whole? Well, I, I, stop reasoning in your mind how it's going to happen. Just ask yourself, how desperate for him am I this morning? Are you willing to wrestle all night if that's what it took? I can tell you that Sunday morning I would have done anything. I'd have written any check. I'd have borrowed any amount of money because I was sick in my soul. I was at the point of suicide and I knew I could not go on. And that morning when God stepped into that room and said wilt thou be made whole? I said yes I will be made whole as the musicians are coming and as we're we're getting ready to to stand i have not been lengthy this morning on purpose i have not been lengthy on purpose this morning because i feel like god i felt it when pastor had us pray together this morning i felt like god wanted to do something miraculous in this place today that God wanted to touch infirmities that some of you have carried around in your heart and in your soul for many, many days. And the question is, do you want to be made whole? The question that God gave me a decade ago in the greatest trial of my life. You going to get up and live? Or are you going to lay there? God, you know the hurt. You know the wound. It is the greatest wound that a man can receive in his life to be betrayed by those who claim to love him. It is the deepest wound. It is a wound that if you don't get it cured, it will lead to bitterness. And that infection will get in you and it will destroy you. And I was in the bitterness of gall. And I, was, I knew God was going to work it out. I, I never doubted God. But God came to me one Sunday morning sitting on the platform there in Sanford and said, are you going to get up and live? Or are you going to lay there and die?
God, you know my situation. If I could have made it better, God, and I have tried, if I could have made it better, God, I would have already done it. How? There was a part of me, a very small part, that was just kind of, when somebody speaks some powerful truth to you that you're not ready to hear just yet. And I thought, what do you mean? I'm doing the best I can. I'm bringing my children to the house of God. I've got my hands raised when I don't feel like raising my hands. What do you mean do I want to be made whole? God had to have a come to Jesus moment with me right there, literally. So you've been here for about a year. There's one. God talks to me different. I don't get the thou shouts in the old English when God speaks to me. I get it just plain and real. And there was one afternoon I had cried and I had cried. I can take you to that church pew. Curled up underneath that pew in the fetal position. Screaming like a wounded beast because I was hurt. A couple hours went by and this is how God speaks to me. You done? Well, I am now. Good. I got something I want to talk to you about. You ready to live? Got half of my soul has been torn from me. What do you mean am I ready to live? I got this. Are you ready to live? And in my desperation, I said, yes, I'm ready to live. That Sunday morning when he came by and said, and after the flood, Noah lived. Last verse, Genesis chapter 9. It's just a throwaway verse. Until you understand that the greatest tragedy in human history had just passed. The entire world had been destroyed except for eight men and women. Noah's wife, his three boys, and his three daughter-in-laws. The greatest tragedy in human history. And the Bible said, and Noah lived. And God said, to live and didn't get it because I, I can tend to be a little hard-headed at times my wife will attest to that as will my parents but then we got 10 minutes into the sermon that morning and then another verse throwaway line book of Job and after his troubles Job lived 140 years and he saw his children and his children's children and his children's children's children under the fourth generation. Throwaway verse at the end of the book of Job. So Job got it all back. Woohoo! You missed it. And Job lived. There was a point where Job had to get up out of the ashes. He had to shake himself off. He had to get to a place and just worship God and say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but 
Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gives, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so today, God is walking by. He's not focused on anybody else in this room. He is solely focused on you right now. And he's asking you a simple question. Do you want to be made whole? serve as his mouthpiece one more time are you ready to get on with your life are you ready to get out of this situation we're watching the chosen and there is a particular scene when they present this story spoiler alert it's powerful and the man looked we don't have it recorded in scripture and again I'm not preaching this as a doctrine but I think it's a very biblically sound principle The man looked and he asked, he said, why is it so important that I take my bed up and walk? And Peter looks at him and I can imagine Peter saying this. Because you're not coming back to this place. And so I want to tell somebody here today, pick up your bed and walk. You know why it's important? Because you're not coming back to this place anymore. As we're standing this morning, I wonder if there's somebody here today that says, I'm tired of laying in my situation. I'm tired of laying at the precipice of getting my healing. I'm tired of watching everybody else get it but me. Today, God, I want to be made whole. If that's you, every head's bowed, every eye's closed, nobody looking around. Why don't you make your way to this altar today? Why don't you make your way here to the place where Jesus is? And he's saying, wilt thou be made whole? And if you're just not comfortable with that, why don't you right where you're standing saying, God, I need you. God, I'm desperate for you. God, I I, I can't live with this any longer. God, I can't stay in this condition any longer. God, you may not be by this way again, but you're here now and so am I. Lord, I want to be made whole. I want my spirit right. I want my body made whole. But more importantly, God, that thing that has plagued me, that has haunted me, that, Lord, it's just been that thing that mocks me, God. This is not always going to be easy, and it's not always a just a one-time deliverance. Gene, I want you to come up here and stand. Where's Sherry? Where's Sherry Miller? She's in the nursery. Hutch, Tiana, I want you to come up here. Just come up here and just, just stand right over here. Now, there's many others I could call up here. I could call several. Jack, come on up here. What, what these people and many more represent are people that you may not really believe where they've come from and where they are now. You wouldn't really be able to make the connection of, of where they are in their walk with God and where they are in their life in comparison to what they were in their teenage years or in their in their early life or things that they had 
either chosen to do to get involved in or things that they had suffered at the hands of others that they had no control over. This represents seemingly hopeless situations. To watch what God has done. Brother Helm said, as we all have said, but God, I'm doing my best. Has anybody else but Brother Helms ever said that? It's almost like I heard the Lord say, but but you're not doing my best. And so I've said that before. God, I'm doing the best that I can. It's as though he's saying, that's right, that's right, you are, and I'm thankful for that. But let me show you what I can do if you will trust me. And let me show you my best. I'd already started making myself a note when he talked about what Peter said when when, when he was probably watching the scenario and when he said, take up your bed and walk. What does that represent? Now, here comes to part two of the altar call. Take up your... You see, it's easy for us to look at the story of this guy because I can't relate to that. Take up your unforgiveness. Take up your bitterness. Take up your hurt. Take up your insecurities. Take up your rejection. Take up your past. Take up your hopelessness. Take up your accusations. Take up your injuries. Take up your hurts. Take up your wounds. Take up those things of how you view yourself. You've got to take up those things. Take up the wounds from your parents. Take up the wounds from other people. Take up the disbelief. Take up whatever is your struggle, whatever is your thing. I'm telling some. this message is for somebody here today that, that God is equipping you to do this. Now here's the part that it gets tough. You got to track with me on this. You got to pay attention. Because there's many things that God will do. But I totally believe if that man would have just sat back down on that bed in disbelief, I believe that crippling condition would have came right back on him. And even if it didn't, he would have still stayed in a crippled state even though he was healed. This is what I'm used to. This is, this is what I'm accustomed to. This is my lot in life. This is what I'm, this is what I'm destined to be. I know, I know what God did for you guys. But this is just the way it's going to be for me. Why did he say take up your bed and walk? First of all, he made him, Jesus did the healing, but then he gave him something to do. So here's part two of the altar call. I believe God has already begun to do something here. But I believe part two of this is you have to exercise faith and you have to do your part of the miracle. Peter gets out of the boat and then Jesus comes through. Peter did that. Nobody else walked on water. Nobody had the faith to get out of the boat and and get their miracle. He had to physically get out of the boat and step onto that water. Jesus didn't pick him up, put him on the water, and then scooch him across the water. 
And so, why did he do this? Number one, to prove his healing. So that when he was taking up that bed, he was proving what just happened. He, he needed to see it. Jesus, he didn't need to prove it to Jesus. Jesus knew he already did the work. But he had to start to do it to increase his faith. So as he's getting up his bed and rolling that bed roll up, he's starting to get faith. The other thing is, is he wanted him to take up his bed and walk. He didn't just say you're healed and walk away and leave him there. He said, you go now. You take up your bed and walk. In other words, you need to go to a new place. You need to see some new friends. You need to go visit some place. You, you, haven't, you haven't seen the, the area for a while. You, you've got to see some things differently. Does anybody get what I'm saying here? But to do that, you also have to leave where you are. For you to get what God's got in store for you, you have to leave some things behind. Again, that, that I press towards the mark. Forgetting those things which are behind. You've got some friends. You've got some people. You've got some things you've held on to. You've got some hurts. You've got some misunderstanding. You've got some habits. You've got some things. You've got some things that have been way too familiar for you that as Jesus heals you today, I believe people are healed today. There is no doubt in my mind. I said some things in pre-service prayer that I had no idea what he was going to preach and he said some of those same things God was here today to do a miracle but I've seen so many people get their miracle and stay in that same place I'm looking at Jean once in a while because she's a counselor she deals with this stuff all the time where people if they will just trust her and do what she asked them to do they will get their healing but they stay in their place they stay where it's comfortable. They lean on their own patterns of thinking. They, they rely on their own habits. They rely on their own ways they've, they've thought that, that, that has become a part of them. Jesus was trying to change the man's identity. If he's still the guy that always sits in that spot, I used to go to downtown Columbus. There's a place called Lazarus. Downtown Columbus. And there was a little guy that was crippled who used to sell pencils in front of Lazarus. As a kid, I saw him. We'd go look at the Christmas lights at Christmas. As, as I got older, as I was a teenager, I was, I was a young adult. He was still in his same place selling pencils. And Jesus is saying, get up. Get a new identity. Leave this place and go someplace new. Somebody's getting their miracle today. And you will complete that miracle if you take up your and walk. Get away from it. Accept your miracle. Believe it. Walk in it. Whether you came to this altar today, I believe God touched you. If you, if you just weren't sure what this is all about, I believe even there's even people that, that didn't even come to the altar that God touched today, that, that God helped them to take their first step towards their new beginning, towards their new future, towards their, their, towards their, their healing.